Let us hear God's word, Titus 3, verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his holy word. Amen. Well, of course, it's been a few weeks since we looked at this, so let's refresh our memory here briefly. In chapter 1, Paul is addressing some of the problems in the church, in particular <clears throat> the issue of elders and opposing false teachers. And so he seeks to uh, encourage Titus to um, have order in the church through the elders and then to protect, protect the church from the false teachers. In chapter 2, he shifts his attention to the home. And he talks about older men and women, younger men and women, as well as the slaves. And simply he's saying we should have godly homes because Christ has come to save us. Now here in chapter 3, he turns his attention to our relations to those outside of the church, in particular as we live as citizens in society. As we relate to others, whether rulers or everyday people as it were. We are to submit to our rulers, we are to be obedient, humble, and kind. And uh, we should be these good citizens because we used to be ungodly and sinful, but God has saved us. And so we are to love our neighbor because God has loved us. And so the main point here in verses 3 to 7 is not some abstract discussion of salvation. Rather, it is God's salvation of us that motivates us to treat others with grace, mercy, and love, whether they are a believer or not. <clears throat> so, if you look at your uh, handout outline here, there's some in the back if you didn't grab one. Uh, we uh, I want to call our attention to the sentence structure here again. You may recall I uh, had this last time. And uh, every now and again, Paul has a section that uh, having it laid out like this can be helpful for us to see. So in verse 3, it is one sentence, and this, again, is simply to say that we all used to do these sins as unbelievers. But then verses 4 to 7 is one sentence in the Greek. And the main point is simply, when the kindness and love of God appeared, referring to Christ, he saved us. That's the main point. But then, you see, there is this main idea preceding it, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, rather according to his mercy, and then one that follows it through the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so those two ideas 
are modifying he saved. And we'll look at those tonight. But then the Holy Spirit leads Paul to say, whom he poured out upon us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, and then the reason, in order that we might become heirs, having been justified by his grace according to the hope of eternal life. So you see uh, how his thought is flowing in this way. Again, the main idea is that God saved us. Okay. So last time we looked at verse 3. This is what we were like. Even those of us who grew up in the church, maybe we're not as bad as some of those other people, but we still are rotten sinners. Our old man before conversion um, may not have been as outwardly evil, but our hearts are still corrupted. And so we were like this. But God in his kindness and in his love for humanity appeared. He appeared not as the Father, of course, but as Jesus. Jesus appeared and he saved us. Now, let's look at the first idea that precedes uh, he saved us, and that is not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Okay. Now, notice how the first word in that, uh, that clause is not, and that's the way it is in the Greek as well. Not, this is Paul's main idea, not this way. And then note that in the next line, he has rather. But is uh, okay, uh, rather is a better word here. It's a very strong contrast that Paul is intending. So it's not our works, rather according to his mercy. It's a very strong contrast that he is establishing here. And so Paul is saying we are not saved by our works. We are not saved by anything that we have done. Rather... We are saved according to his mercy. And even in that line, the word his is put in the emphatic position in the Greek. And so a very uh, clear emphasis by Paul here to say that God is the one who has saved us. And we have contributed nothing. All right, now Paul here calls it the works of righteousness. We see this word again. We've seen it several times in Romans, including this morning, unrighteousness. And again, we're coming across this word that refers to the law. And so whether we are talking about the law of Moses or a portion of the law of Moses, say the Ten Commandments, whether we're referring to some moral code or some woke standard, or whether we're referring to what we think is most important, the things that we think must make God happy with us because we have done this or we've not done that. Okay. Paul's point is, basically, none of us keep that standard perfectly. Even if our standard is simply, I'm going to be a nice person, you don't do that perfectly. None of us do. And so there is no work However simple or basic that work may be, there is no work at all that contributes to our salvation. All of us break whatever law we have established to make us feel good about ourselves. Okay, so maybe it's, I come to church every time the doors are open, or I tithe and even then some, or you know I don't go to bars, or I don't watch R-rated movies, or whatever it is. None of us keep our standards perfectly. Okay. And so 
Paul's going to elaborate on this point in Romans chapter 2. And that's really his main point in chapter 2, especially verses 1 to 16, but even beyond that. So maybe if we consider the sixth commandment, it may be true that none of us have murdered anybody. Yet all of us have shown hate towards someone, and not the culture's definition of hate. But if we are hateful towards someone, even if it's only within, only in our minds, we are breaking the sixth commandment. All of us have said words that are hurtful and harmful to other people. We have broken the sixth commandment, as Jesus has defined it in Matthew 5. Likewise, maybe we don't go to Walmart and steal a candy bar or a pair of socks or whatever. But if we are regularly stretching the truth when we talk to others, or Maybe we don't just make up some bald-faced lie to somebody, but small fibs and white lies are common, and we're still breaking the Eighth and Ninth Commandments. So again, no matter what standard we follow, none of us keeps it perfectly. And especially when we consider God's law, none of us come anywhere close to doing it perfectly. Simply, we could say, Nothing is ever good enough, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much we try to please God, no matter how much we think that God must be happy with me because I've done this or not done that, it's never good enough. Because God's standards are that we are to be perfect. Our works, even our best works, are not accepted. God will not accept them because they are tainted with sin in one way or another. And so, since God's standard is one of perfection, we all stand condemned. We all deserve God's wrath. None of us can avoid his judgment. None of us can do anything to make things right again with God. And so our only hope to be spared the judgment of God is if God does something for us. Hence, Paul, in this second part here, rather according to his mercy, he emphasizes that, plus the word rather. The source of salvation is God. And God sent his kindness. God sent his love for mankind, and that is Jesus And even back to chapter 2, you remember in verse 11, God sent his grace, referring to Christ, the first coming of Christ. And so the source of salvation is the kindness of God through Jesus Christ, God's kindness to helpless sinners, God's love for his enemies, God's grace to the undeserved. Now, how then does Christ's coming lead to our salvation? Well, simply, we are saved by works. We're just not saved by our works. God doesn't just let us into heaven. God permits us to come into his presence because of the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus' work saves us. We must perfectly obey God's law, as Jesus said, right? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy as God is holy. We must do that, and we cannot. We cannot come anywhere close, not even in one way, 
But Jesus came, and he did obey the law in every way, without error in any way, in thought, word, or deed, the commands that we are supposed to keep, the things that we are supposed to avoid. Christ did it in every way perfectly, and he still does. He's still obeying his heavenly Father perfectly. And so, since we can't, God sent his kindness, God sent his love, God sent his grace through Jesus Christ to keep the law for us. And so Jesus did work and does work for us. But of course, he also took the punishment that we deserve for disobeying God's law. And so the work of Christ culminated on the cross where he received uh, the punishment that we deserve. The punishment that we can take for our sin is death, right? The wages of sin is death. And so living forever in hell is the way we can pay for our sin. But God sent Jesus to do that for us. Jesus took our punishment in our place. He suffered, yes, by nails, by a spear, by thorns, by scorn, and so on. But in particular, he was rejected by his father. He was forsaken by his father so that we do not have to face God's wrath. This work of Jesus is gracious, it is merciful, it is kind, it is loving. And so because of this, we do not deserve punishment. Not because of our works, which we have done, but because of Christ's work, which he has done. And so we receive eternal life and blessings instead. This is how God has saved us. He is kind, is he not? He is loving and gracious and merciful and good. He has saved us from his own wrath through his own son. But Paul's point is, because this is true, relate to your neighbor in an honoring way, with respect, with obedience, with love, with humility. Again, Paul is not speaking of salvation in the abstract. This is one of the most concise passages where Paul has given to us the summary of what God has done to save us through Christ. But his point is, because this is true, relate to your neighbor in a nice way. Submit to the people in authority over you. And be humble as you go to the store or you get gas at the station or whatever it is. That's his main point here. All right, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 here a moment. As I've said on other occasions, Ephesians is kind of the Cliff Notes version of Romans. And especially here, chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. This is a summary, you might say, of Romans 1 to 4. Well, in a similar way, Ephesians is an expansion of what we see here in Titus 3, verses 3 to 5. Notice how verses 1 to 3 corresponds with Titus 3, verse 3. And you who are dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Titus 3, verse 3. We all used to be rotten sinners. Paul's saying that here. Jew and Gentile, we were all dead in our sins. 
But God saved us. And so here now, verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. You hear some of the same words used here as we see in Titus. And then verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. And so obviously Titus 3 verse 5, same thing. Not by anything that we have done, but according to his mercy. And then verse 10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And in Titus 3, the main good work that Paul's talking about is right, being a good citizen. Living in society, not hiding out in our uh, Christian uh, places, but uh, uh, living in the world and influencing it, transforming it, as we talked about in Titus 3, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> All right, well, let's come back here to Titus. And uh, notice that Paul is making reference to the Father here in these verses. Right, in verse 4, God our Savior is a reference to the Father. And then His, in verse 5, and He saved us is a reference to the Father, ultimately. But it's Christ that is the kindness and love of God. Right? Again, back to chapter 2, verse 11, the grace of God is referring to Christ. He's the one who appeared. The Father didn't appear. And now, as we look at the rest of verse 5, the Spirit is mentioned. And so Paul is very clear that our salvation is due to the work of the Trinity. It's not just the work of Christ. It's not just the work of the Father, okay, but it's the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity saves us. So for anyone who says, well, Jesus had to come and twist the Father's arm to accept us, they're completely missing the point. The Father is the one who saves us through Jesus Christ, his Son, and through the Spirit. So anyway, the, the second main idea now, the, the, the key phrase that follows, he saved us, uh, turns our attention to the Holy Spirit. And so again, it reads, through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's this preposition through here, and then there are two parts that flow out from it. Um, through uh, refers to what we call means or agency or instrumentality. Big fancy words, but uh, we use this all the time. We may not give it this definition. So all of us had a means to get here tonight. We used an instrument that we call our car. That is the instrument that was used, the agency that we used to get us here to church. If you're playing baseball or softball, the agency that you use, the instrument you use to hit the ball, of course, is the bat. Well, in a similar way, God saved us through Christ, through the work of Christ. But that was done a long time ago. Almost now, actually, 2,000 years ago. Within another... You know, seven or eight years or something like that, it'll be 2,000 years. 
And, of course, it was done about 6,000 miles away as the crow flies. Um, So how in the world does that have anything to do with us over here now in 2023? Well, Jesus did his work, and now the Spirit is the means by which that work is applied to me and to us as Christians. The Spirit is the agent, the instrument that takes the work of Christ from so long ago, from so far away, and applies it to me now in this place. And so God uses his spirit as the means to apply Christ's work to us today in western Pennsylvania. And this is true for any believer whenever they've lived and wherever they have lived. And so think of David who lived just a few miles away in Bethlehem, but a thousand years earlier. Or you think of Joshua or something who lived in Ephraim. It was farther away and roughly 1,400 years before Jesus. Or think of Paul, who um, was possibly in Rome or Greece or, you know, wherever he was when he wrote this letter. Most people think it was now 63, 64 A.D., So you're talking over 30 years since Jesus did his work. But Paul is saying this applies to us now because of the instrumentality of the Spirit. The Spirit is applying it to us now. And so whether we're talking about us now or someone over in Tokyo 300 years ago, everyone that God has saved, the Holy Spirit works for them in this way. This link, you might say, is called union with Christ. We read that in Ephesians 2. And our union with Christ is caused by the Spirit. The Spirit unites us to Jesus. And so Jesus' work then applies to us now in this place. And so this word, through, is filled with meaning. And so this is how God saves us. Christ does the work. The Spirit applies that work to us now in this place. All right, now notice he says two things about this through. Through the washing of regeneration, and secondly, through the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, both of these lines are really saying the same thing. The Spirit washes us by regenerating us. Now, when we think of washing, we understandably, think of baptism. Okay? Um, <clears throat> but Paul's not emphasizing the outward washing here. Now, certainly it's part of it, right? We, when we baptize someone, we have this outward form of washing away sins of the Spirit working within us. But Paul's emphasizing the inward work here, what is accomplished in our hearts and minds. And that's because he says the washing of regeneration Baptism, water, does not regenerate us. The Spirit does. The Spirit is the one working in us. And so the Spirit then takes our dead hearts, right? Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3. We are dead in our sins. He takes that deadness and he regenerates. He gives new life. And in so doing, he washes us clean from our sins. And so like a dead person can't do anything, if it weren't for the work of the Spirit, 
Christ would come, do his thing, go back to heaven, and we'd be no better. We'd still be in our sins. But through the work of the Spirit, we can be brought to life. We can have salvation in this way. So then in Ephesians 2, verses 4 and following, it's the Spirit that makes us alive. God, yes, Paul says there in Ephesians 2, verse 4, but specifically, it's the Spirit of God that does it. And so we are regenerated. We are reborn. We are born again. Our hearts are changed from hearts of stone to flesh. We are born from above. We are a new creation. We are renewed, as Paul says. Now, Uh, One of the commentators said, uh, was emphasizing the point, look, we are renewed, we are not repaired. How can you repair a dead person? You can't. You might be able to put some tubes and other things into them and keep it somewhat alive to some degree, but you can't bring them back to life. And so we are renewed by the Spirit, hence Paul's term here. And so again, Paul is emphasizing the internal, not baptism, but the work of the Spirit within. All right, let's look here a moment then to Ezekiel. Uh, Turn to Ezekiel and look at it a moment. Chapter 36. All right, as always, we could read so much. We could read the whole chapter here, even... Uh, especially beginning in verse 16. And this is where um, God is giving these words to Ezekiel regarding the new covenant. Well, let's focus our attention on verses 25 and following. So Ezekiel 36, verse 25. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Obviously, Paul has these things in mind. Maybe even specifically has this passage in mind as he writes. It is the spirit that renews us, that gives us a new heart, that washes us clean. Our sins are forgiven. Yes, it's Christ whose blood is shed. It's his work, but it's the spirit who, as it were, takes that blood and washes us. Here now today and uh, our day. Obviously, he then says that the spirit is going to enable us to obey. And again, in the context of Paul in Titus 3, that has to do with relating to our fellow man. That's the main uh, emphasis. All right, let's look then at John chapter 3. Of course, you remember this is the account of Jesus with Nicodemus, who came to Jesus at night. And picking up in verse 3 of John 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How could a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Obviously, we can't see the wind, we can't see the Spirit, we can't see God, and yet it is the Spirit that causes us to be born again. Uh, One more here, Uh, let's turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Uh, this very familiar verse to us, and uh, obviously Paul's saying many things here, but let's just read verse 17, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. therefore if anyone is in Christ, right, that means united to Christ, he is a new creation, right, renewed, old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new, and this is because Christ accomplished the work, and the Spirit applies it to us today. And so the Spirit washes us, bringing this inner transformation and gives us this new beginning. All right, now, it has been somewhat common for different denominations and groups and such to take Titus 3, verse 5, and these words of the Spirit, and talk about two stages And so, depending on which denomination you uh, may be talking about or whatever, they may say different things. But um, it is common to to hear them say, well, we are regenerated first and renewed later. Not quite sure how that works, but anyway. Um, So, a common way we hear this is in your Pentecostal charismatic churches that say that we are converted first, and then we are baptized in the Spirit at a later time. Well, there's one preposition here. Paul's linking these two things together. He's not talking about something that is separate. To be washed and regenerated and renewed by the Spirit, that all happens at the same time. How can you be washed without being renewed? How can you be regenerated without the renewal of the Spirit. We're new creations, as we just read in 2 Corinthians 5. So, just a a brief word in this way, but Paul is referring to one act that takes place at our conversion. The Spirit gives us a new heart so that we can repent, so that we can believe, and thus our sins are washed away. The work of Christ is applied to us. We are new creations. It all happens at the same time. Now, yes, we make a distinction between justification and sanctification. But Paul's not talking about that here. He's talking about the Spirit changing us at conversion. So a brief word in that way. Another brief word. As we've seen a few times here now in uh, the book of of, uh, Titus, we see um, Paul using terms that were common in the first century and saying, okay, you've heard it said about, you know, X, Y, Z, but this is what really is true. Well, the word for regeneration was a commonly used word in the first century. It was used actually in a few different contexts um, by various religious groups and so on and so forth. But Paul is saying, this is the true meaning of regeneration. We are dead in our sins, but God has made us alive through his spirit. 
And so uh, in our day, it is common for us to hear in the church, I believed and therefore I was born again. That is a wrong understanding of regeneration. If we're dead in our sins, if our hearts are stony, right, how can we believe in Jesus unless he first gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh? How can we respond unless he first makes us alive? And so regeneration is not a response to our choice. Our re- repentance and belief is a response to the work of the Spirit within us. And so as Paul is saying, you've heard this, but this is true, so we can make this application in our context here today. All right, so, as Paul is saying here then, he saved us, God saved us. God's wrath is turned away, we are saved from the judgment that we deserve because Jesus has come, He has obeyed for us. His work is accepted in our place. And because the Spirit is applying that work, giving us new hearts so that we can trust in Christ, washing us clean, making us new creations here in 2023 or whenever it was you were converted, here in this place in Western PA or wherever it was you came to faith. And so therefore, again, our main point, because God has done this for us, submit to your rulers, be an obedient person, treat your neighbors well, be a good witness, expand the kingdom of God, transform society, be salt and light. All these things we talked about in verses 1 and 2. So we can abstract the ideas here and talk about them. That's fine. But again, don't forget the main point that Paul is making. And so as we reflect on our salvation, may it motivate you to look outward even more as you relate to those around you. All right. Well, we'll pick up here next time, Lord willing. And so let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have uh, made clear to us what general revelation is not. And that is how we can be made right with you. We know that you're a good God. We know that you are a just and loving and merciful and kind and, and uh, gracious God just because of what we see around us. But we don't know special grace. We don't know salvation from judgment from these things. But we do know it in your word, and we thank you for it, Lord. And as Paul has made abundantly clear here in this verse, we are thankful that you have saved us through the work of Jesus Christ. And we are thankful that you have saved us through the work of the Holy Spirit, applying Christ's work to us today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would... uh, Strengthen us in our knowledge and understanding of this. But we also pray, Lord, that you would then use this in our hearts and our lives to motivate us as we relate to the world around us, the unbelievers, uh, people in our communities, people at work, 
people at the store that we bump into, whether we know them or not. Uh, help us, Lord, uh, to, to be salt and light um, because you have saved us. And so we pray these things then in Jesus' name. Amen.